Lord your God has given rest uh, to your brethren as He promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments, to hold fast to Him, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Sounds like New Testament, doesn't it? So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Let's pray. Father, help us as we come to this message this morning, uh, Lord, from Your Word, and as we work our way through this account and what took place. I pray, Father, that we would learn from it and grow from it. And Lord, You'd help us to see the things that are here that we can apply to our life. And I just pray that we would be a stronger uh, Christian, a stronger church as a result, Lord, of this word this morning. And Lord, that we would draw closer to You, closer to Your house, and closer to Your people. We pray in Jesus' name, and Amen. Now, in case this is maybe the first time you've read this, uh, or maybe it's been a while since you've read this account, uh, let me briefly just remind you uh, of what has uh, happened taken place up to this point. Uh, the nation of Israel, through the leadership of Joshua, has now conquered the land of Canaan, and everything is settled. Everybody's received their inheritance, and now uh, these tribes, tribes that are mentioned here in the first part of Joshua 22, now these tribes are going back on the other side of Jordan. Um, Numbers 32, if you want to go back and read this, not now, but maybe sometime later today or in this week, is very descriptive of this account and what all has happened. But the gif of it is this, to try to sum some things up, to get things rolling. These tribes that are mentioned here in Joshua 22 had, had made an agreement with Moses. Now, what the thing is, is they did not want to inherit the land that was on the east side of the Jordan River. They were on the other side of the Jordan River for a time before they crossed over the Jordan. And these tribes, they didn't want the land on the other side of Jordan. They wanted the land they were currently on before they crossed Jordan. And they came to Moses and said, Hey, we want to inherit this land on this side of Jordan. It's a good land. Got lots of cattle. Or we got lots of cattle. And it's a good land for cattle. Well, first Moses is just really upset because he thinks this is going to discourage the rest of the children of Israel from crossing Jordan and taking the land that God had promised. Well, that wasn't their intentions at all to forsake the rest of them. And so Moses makes a deal with them, say, hey, you can have this land on this side, but you've still got to cross over and fight for your brethren. And once all of that land is seized and everybody's at rest and everybody's inherited, then you can cross back over the Jordan and you can have that land. And so they made that agreement with Moses. And now that's taken place. Moses is gone, of course. Joshua is now fulfilling the promise through Moses and now they're going to go back across. And so that's where this is at. But they wanted that land because they said it was a land good for cattle and they had much cattle. Now, and so that's where we're at here. All things have been taken care of. They've seized the land Israel has in Canaan. And now they are going back over. And of course, uh, Joshua gives this admonition to them in verses uh, 5 there uh, that we read uh, that they still serve the Lord. Now, as the children of Israel were getting ready to cross over Jordan in Joshua chapter 1, uh, we find earlier, if you go back and read that, that Joshua reminded them of this agreement. Now, 
it seems like they stayed true to the agreement 100%. They didn't have any ill intentions. They had all good intentions. All of that is good. Um, they waited till Israel had her rest. They stayed true to their word and so forth. And now Joshua is sending them back with his blessing, if you would, because they stuck true to the word. Now let's read verse 7 and 8. Now to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in, in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren. You need, to, you need to catch this because it's going to be a familiar language that we're going to see in this message. He gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. And so now half of this tribe was, was going back to the one side of Jordan, and the other half was staying on, on the east side. Uh, it says, One half Moses gave them Bashan, which was on the west side of Jordan, which they agreed to, and the other half was on the other side of the west side, you could say. Uh, but notice the language there. He says how the east side of the land is described as among their brethren. So I just want to take note that the inheritance that the two and a half tribes wanted was not among their brethren. Now commentators, if you go back and study this out, I mean, and Bible scholars differ on the issue or whether or not it was best for these tribes to ask for their inheritance on the other side of Jordan. And it can be debated and we're never really going to come up with an answer for sure, I do not think. But it is not condemned at all in the Scriptures. But one thing seems to be certain that when you look at the whole context and, and follow this story out, everything that takes place, that there seems to be a lot of contention that has arisen between these two and a half tribes that, that, that wanted the other, on the other side of Jordan and the rest of the nation of Israel. Now, I believe without a doubt that there's no intention of rebellion. There, there's no malice between these tribes on one side of Jordan and the rest of Israel. It's not there, not there at all. Um, at the same time, I still don't think it was a very wise decision. I think choosing a land just because it's good for cattle was a bad decision. Now, we find here that they go back, and we don't have time to bring out everything in this passage because we want to get to the main purpose of all of this. But in verse 9, we find that they go back. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned, and notice what it says, and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And so, no, it was not rebellion, and they wanted that land, and God gave it through Moses as they asked for it. But the language is they departed from the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. Canaan was the promised land, not the land of Gilead. I believe they chose the lesser. I believe that they did have two choices there, but they chose the lesser. They chose the land of Gilead rather than some of the land of Canaan from the children of Israel. But yet God allowed it, didn't He? God allowed it. 
Let's read on here. Now this say, well, what's the point of all this? Well, we're going to get to the point eventually. Just, just hang with me. But you need to see this story unfold. Uh, verse 10, here's what happens. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, that's these tribes, that are, and half the tribe of Manasseh, built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. Now, if you know anything at all about the Old Testament and what they've done right here, at first you're going to read this and say, how could you? What are you doing building another altar? The altar of the Lord where they were supposed to worship and give sacrifices was in Shiloh. And now they, they immediately leave and they're already setting up another place of worship, kind of doing their own thing. Now that's, that's the way it looks. That's the way it looks. And, and uh, so how could they be doing this and be unfaithful to the Lord after they've been so good, I mean, to carry out their promises, to fulfill their word to Moses and to Joshua, and Joshua just giving them the admonition moments ago to stay true to God and love Him with all of His heart and to follow all of His word. And listen, and what you would think, if you've never read this account and you know a little bit about this and what they were doing, you would say, man, this is terrible what they're doing. And that's exactly what the rest of the nation of Israel thought too. They seen this as an act of rebellion. They seen this as worshiping another God and forsaking the Lord. A.W. Pink said this. He says, The plans we formulate and execute may veil the true intention of the heart and result in misunderstandings. That is true. You know, no doubt a lot of problems arise because we don't know the true intentions of other people sometimes. Sometimes it can look like one thing, but it's another. And so we've got to be very careful. At first, you read this, you think, man, they are in rebellion. There's some malice here. They're going against God. But that's not what they're doing. That's not what they're doing. Um, now, here, here, let's read on and we'll see. So they built this altar. And why is it so bad? Because there was only one altar that was supposed to be built. Only one altar is supposed to be built. Only one altar was there supposed to be sacrificed. Symbolic of the one way to approach God. The one way of worshiping God. And for us today, that's of course Jesus Christ. Listen, in our world, our culture, let me tell you what. They want to build up another altar. They want to build up another Jesus. And we see it everywhere. We must stay true to the one and true living God. The one according to the word of God. Israel is right to be upset. It's another altar. And we have a right to be upset when we see another Jesus being promoted in our culture. But we don't always know the intentions of why people do things, do we? Though we may not agree. But let's move on here. Here's what happens. We find here in verse 11 that the children of Israel respond as you would suspect, the rest of them. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. He said, they have built another altar over here. Another altar, and they are upset. And so here's what happens, verse 12. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. They, these were just fellow brethren in arms moments ago. And now, all of a sudden, they're going to be at war 
because these brethren of theirs have forsaken the true and living God, have now established another altar to worship God on that God did not command. And they're ready to go to war with them. Now, but before they do, if you read on, you find in verse 13, Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest of the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half the tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, and with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. And so, okay, so they're ready for war, but they have this wise idea, right? That, hey, you know what, maybe we should talk about this first. <laughs> I mean, right? You should always talk about stuff first, right? And, uh, and, so, and so this was good that they were doing, and they were actually following the law by doing this. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 13, it says this in verse 12, If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such abomination was committed among you, he says, You shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, and, and all its livestock with the edge of the sword. And so the children of Israel, they're going to fulfill this commandment. They're saying, hey, they have erected another altar. They're going to worship another God. We have got to go. We've got to do what the Lord teaches us here. But, you know, the, the Word of God also taught them to inquire, to seek after. And so they're doing that. And so they're willing to make this stand against their, their very own people there that are on the other side of the Jordan. They are assuming and thinking that this altar was, an, was a thing of idolatry. Now let's read on, though. We see in verses 15 through 20. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half of the tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that you have built for yourselves an altar, that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed to this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? But that you must turn away this day from following the Lord? And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow He will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel? Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord. So do you see this language here? There's obviously something going on to where the rest of the nation of Israel, they don't think these guys have made the best decision. They say, hey, if that land is no good, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord. Then they say, where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides or instead of the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel 
And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. And so really the passage explains itself. You see, uh, Israel speaks to these other tribes that built this altar. They say, hey, don't you remember what God did? I mean, God brought disease because of idolatry. And here you are, you're doing the same thing. God is going uh, to uh, wipe us out tomorrow if we don't take care of this thing quickly. Um, that was during the time of Balak and, and Balaam uh, that all of that happened where the children of Israel committed idolatry and went into also the women of Moab and God judged them for that. And they say the consequences of that sin, they say we can still see the effects of that sin today. And so they could say we can look at the nation of Israel and see how the, the consequence of that is still there with the nation of Israel. And they seen them as building this altar as, as a rebellion against the Lord. So how could you do this knowing this? How could you do this knowing what God did uh, during the time of Peor and, and, and during the time of Achan? And they were right to be concerned because it would affect them too. And so verse 19, as we read it, I, I think you can definitely see some concern in their voice and, and some hesitation about these tribes taking the land on the other side of Jordan when they say things like, if that land is unclean, so if you don't think this is clean land, then won't you come take the land of the possession of the Lord? And so, whether they're right and they're saying what they did or not, I, I'm not sure, but I think they are. But nonetheless, there is some division that is naturally caused here by them taking that land on the other side of Jordan. That's really easy to be seen. Hey, be closer to this side on Jordan. Be closer to the Lord's tabernacle. Don't build another altar. Live among us. Live among the possession of the Lord. Be close to your brethren over here. Worship with us. Be over here on our side. That's the language that they're speaking. Now, so they say if it was a, basically a weakness on their part, and maybe they decided on that land too soon. I mean, they, they, they wanted that land before they crossed over Jordan. Maybe they're saying, hey, you guys have second thoughts, you know. After we got in Canaan, we got better land over here. And this is God's promised land over here. Maybe a second thought. They're giving them a chance, you know, to come to the other side. I like that. And so, reading this, you think, wow, this is a, this is a problem. I and mean, they're about to go to war with their own over this. Now, here's their answer in verse 21 through 29. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, He knows... And let Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion, meaning the building of that altar, or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. <laughs> wow. I said, hey guys, listen. If this is an act of rebellion and we're doing this against the Lord, kill us all right now. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or to or if to offer peace offerings on it let the lord himself require an account said listen we've not built this thing to worship any other god 
and we haven't worshipped it even to offer sacrifices unto the true God. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying, In time to come your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So you see where they're coming from. They're saying, listen, we're concerned that over a period of time, the nation of Israel on that side is going to look at, at us on the other side and say, we're not together. We're not one. We serve different gods. You have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. So because your children will say to our children, we have no part in you, it will cause our children to go away from the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before Him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. They're not saying so they can, so they can put sacrifices on the altar, but when they go to Shiloh, when they do offer sacrifices to the Lord, their children wouldn't say to their children, you have no part in Israel. Therefore, we say that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, for sacrifices, besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before His tabernacle. They're saying, hey, this altar is not for sacrifice to another god. It's not even sacrifice to the true God. This altar is a witness between our children and your children that we all serve the same God. Great answer, right? Great answer. And they acknowledge that the Lord was to be worshipped only in His tabernacle. Now, so they've clarified what was going on. Now, maybe, <laughs> hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Maybe it would have been best whenever Joshua gave them the leave and said, hey, go to the other side, if they would have addressed Joshua right then and said, hey, Joshua, listen, we're concerned about something here. We're concerned about the future and how this side of Israel and this side of Jordan is going to respond to the tribes on the other side and we need to do something to show that we're one maybe build something to to show that maybe hindsight's 2020 they might look back and say boy we almost called a cause a war <laughs> but they didn't intend to you know, i've been a minister long enough to see that sometimes some of the worst church conflicts oftentimes were not intended like whoa how did that happen <laughs> You know, when you look at what they did by, by wanting that land on the other side, by building this altar, there's, there's no ill intentions, is there? There's, there's, it's not really an act of rebellion. 
They received a blessing from Joshua. But we're still left with the question, was it what was best for those tribes to settle on the other side of Jordan? It's a question scholars still try to answer. Was it best? I believe it was not best. It wasn't the land of Canaan. It's not addressed as the land of Canaan. If they would have went ahead and took the land on the other side, this would have never been an issue. They wouldn't have felt the need to, to build an altar to remind children in the future that they were all of the same Lord and the same God. But let me tell you what, Satan, even when we have good intentions, even when we do not have ill motives in our decisions that we make, Satan will, will, will try his best to make anything he can to divide us, any sort of thing to drive distance between us, to, to drive a wedge between us. And sometimes we have been the cause of it by decisions we've made, and they weren't even made with bad intentions or impure motives. He just, he's a weasel. He, has, he finds ways to squeeze in. They weren't building this altar in, in a sense to replace the other one. And we don't see necessarily ill motives for why they wanted that side of the Jordan River. But I do not believe it's what was best. And so that stands in question, doesn't it? No rebellion, no malice, no ill will. It just seems to not be the best idea. Attitude and purpose seems okay to an extent that their heart does not seem to be you know, wrong at all in this, and, and God really allowed it. But at the same time, we're still left with question, but was it what was best? And that is part, that's what we're getting to this morning and what we're going to close with in a little while is that are, are we truly making decisions in our life, in our family's life, of what is best? You, you may not have ill motives, you may not have a bad purpose, but are they decisions that are best for you spiritually, best for your family spiritually? Now, here's one thing. They actually already had a memorial. <laughs> they didn't really even need this one. Remember when the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan? What, what did they do? They took up 12 big rocks to represent each of the 12 tribes. That was a memorial that all of them had crossed over the Jordan. There was really already a memorial. It really wasn't necessary. And it was a witness of the 12 tribes crossing over Jordan. And so it was a witness that at one point, those two tribes had crossed over with the rest of Israel across the Jordan. So they really already had that. So it wasn't really necessary, but they were obviously fearful that one day they would be divided. They were fearful that one day they'd be divided, but they chose to live on the total opposite side of the Jordan River that would serve as a natural barrier, a natural division for generations to come that would keep them from being able to have very good access to God's tabernacle and the rest of God's people. And would also make them more vulnerable to the enemies west of them. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 5. Here's what you do not see in this passage. 
First Chronicles chapter 5. We'll just read a couple of verses. Well, it's really necessary to start with verse 23, I guess. So the children of the half-tribe of Manasseh dwelt in the land. Their numbers increased from Bashan to, to, to Bel Hermon, that is, to Sinir or Mount Hermon. These were the heads of their fathers. Listen to their names there. It says, They were mighty men of valor, famous men, and heads of their fathers' houses. And in verse 25, and, and they were unfaithful to the God of their fathers and played the harlot after the gods of the people of what? Of the land. Of what land? Whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Paul, king of Assyria, that is Tiglah-Pileser, king of Assyria. He carried who? The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into captivity. Folks, they made themselves vulnerable by being on the other side of the Jordan to the gods that were on that side of Jordan. I do not believe it was the best decision. They did not have evil intentions. They didn't set out to say, we're going to forsake the Lord our God. They didn't set out to say, we're going to live in rebellion. They didn't set out to say, we're not with you, the rest of the people of God. But because that Jordan River divided them, it created a barrier between the nations there, or between the tribes. Though no ill intentions, though no ill will, though no impure motives, apparently. I don't know if you understand where this is going, but this is where we're at. That we, as a people of God, need to lead our families, men must lead our families, our wives, our children, in making decisions that would put you as close to the house of God as possible. Make decisions that would put you as close to the people of God as possible. Make decisions for your children that would put them as close to the church as possible. And I don't just mean living one mile down the street, though that may be needed at times. But in all of our decisions, when we're faced with a decision of doing something of the world or doing something at church, what's your decision going to be? It may not be malice or ill will that keeps you really from, from wanting to be a part of the church. It may not be any hard feelings toward the church or the pastor. You can honestly say, I have no malice. I have no hard feelings. That's my church. That's the people of God. That's who I identify with. But your week after week and year after year routine says that you are making life decisions that make a separation, a barrier that comes between you and the worship of God, and the people of God. And in time, after time of making that decision, of allowing that barrier, of allowing things of this world to have preeminence over the worship of God, the house of God, and the people of God, 
of making those decisions between before your children, one day that's going to come back and bite. I pastor a lot of good people here. I love our church so much. And I believe you love your church. I believe that. But some of you are just making decisions that aren't putting the worship of God first, putting the house of God first, and the people of God first. And I warn you today, it's going to come back in a bad way. There's no ill will. There's no bad motives. There's not ill intent. But that kind of lifelong decisions and raising your family, raising your kids that way, it's not going to pay off good in the end. Now, I can't give you a promise that if you're faithful to God, His house, three times a week, all of these things, and you get involved in everything, boy, your kids are going to turn out perfect. I, I can't say that. I cannot say that. But I sure don't want to lead my family in that direction by making decisions in my family that would say that God is not first, God's house is not first, God's people are not first. Stick as close as you can in all of your decisions to put the house of God first, to put, to put the activities of the house of God first, not just worship, but the things the church does, the things the church gets involved in. The youth group. Youth group was never an option for my kids. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. I'm not going to say I was perfect on that. <laughs> Church shouldn't be an option. It just shouldn't be an option. Folks, I just want to make the decisions that say this, that God is first, God's house is first, God's people are first, God's work is first. You're not going to go wrong doing that. But if you raise your children doing that, and they do walk away from the Lord, you can have a clean conscience. Choose what is best spiritually. Our way of making decisions. Question these things. Are we truly putting the worship of Jesus first in our homes? Do we seek to be as close and connected to the place of worship, to His house, as we can? Are we, will we seek to do our best to remove barriers between us and God's people? See, I think they were trying to eliminate that barrier. I think they had good intentions of trying to remove that barrier of the Jordan River. What are you going to do about the Jordan River? But we can do some things. Maybe there's some things in your life that's keeping you from being involved in the church, from being involved in the people of God. Being, from just being where you know you need to be in regards to, to the house of God? Will, will you make some decisions to say, you know what, I'm going to work on this to, to, to make sure that God's house, God's people, God's worship has preeminence? Men, ask ourselves, are we leading our families in that? To put Jesus first, worship first, His church first, His, His people first? If we don't, if we don't, I, I believe this with all of my heart, that when we purposely make those decisions to not put those things first and preeminent in our life, 
I believe that we are making ourselves more vulnerable to the enemy. They were on the other side of Jordan because they had that barrier between them and the people of God and the place of worship. We find that they're one of the first ones that, the, that, that fall to the way of idolatry and the enemy. They didn't get there by impure motives or acts of rebellion. And that's what we have to realize, that sometimes we make decisions, and it's not that we're being mean, it's not that we have any malice or any ill will toward the church or the pastor or any at all. We, we love our church, we love our pastor, we love the people of God. And so it may not be a matter of ill will or ill motive, but if we're, if we're not having the things of Christ, the house of Christ, the people of Christ, if they're not what's first in our life, I believe that when we're not together, connected more, and you're on the outskirts, you're going to be more vulnerable to the world. Folks, I need the people of God more than ever because I need you. I need God's house. I need His worship. I need the people of God. Why? Because I'm still a sinner saved by grace. Not because I don't, I'm not committed to, to Christ and His Word and to His house and to His people because I'm super spiritual. That's not it. That's because I need Him. I need His house. I need His people. I need the fellowship of the saints. I need to be plugged in. Well, you're the pastor. You're, listen, I wanted that long before I was ever pastor of any church. Folks, we need the people of God. We need God's house. We need each other. The enemy's all around us. The world is out there. Be as close connected than your family can be to God's house, God's people, God's work. You're not going to regret that ever. Let's pray. Father, in heaven, help us, Lord, I pray, to honor and to glorify you, to put you first in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll keep the screen up.